It's that time of week, the time you've been waiting for. It's time for Goat Gab, a weekly podcast about all things in the dairy goat industry. Sit back and enjoy an hour or so with your hosts, Laura Warren Hughes and Cameron Jedlowski, as we talk about ideas and topics that matter to the dairy goat world. Hello, Goat Gabbers, and welcome to another exciting episode of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Laura Warren Hughes. And I'm the other co-host, Cameron Jodlowski. (laughs) We are so glad to be here this weekend. Um, It's kind of a laid-back weekend for us, or at least around here in Missouri. I'm guessing it is for you, too, as well, Cameron. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very quiet on the home front and very, um, not a lot going on. Just got cold. It, it got, and that cold just kind of crept up on you. Yeah, it did here too. Like Tuesday morning, it was 70 degrees. And I think by Wednesday, our high was 35. It was just kind of brutal how quickly the cold snuck in here. And then getting dark so early, it just makes me want to like come home from work, go out and see the goats and climb in bed. <laughs> That's kind of the end of it. I'm not very productive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's uh, it's hard to get motivated on these cold days, especially to uh, get out of bed to go out there and feed them. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very happy for my headlamp this time of year. <laughs> yes i yes i would agree with that I'm, I'm very thankful that we have lots of lights there but laura uh before we dig into the episode here uh what's going on at your place this week well i finally sat down and and um looked at everybody who was on my breeding list and uh got all of that caught up and we'll talk a little bit about more of that um later on in the episode but realized that i still have probably three goats left to breed so um, you know, that's, that's not terribly bad. It it looks like I'm probably going to be heading into some maybe late April or early May kids, which doesn't make me very excited, but it could be worse. So, um, so we had that. And then I sold a doe today, um, kind of a special doe to me, one that, that, uh, I rescued as a very scrawny and everybody was thinking not nice milking yearling and, uh, she finished her championship this year as a five-year-old and appraised excellent 90 and um, sold her to just a wonderful 4-H girl who uh, worked hard to raise money to buy her herself. And this is kind of her first dough, um, first milking dough that she's going to own. And just very excited for her, but always it's always sad to kind of let those special ones go, but um, it's easier but when... Laura- you're starting a you're starting a young 4-H'er out, and it's so exciting. And you know, we always talk about mentorship there, and there's someone to add under the the Maple Wind Caprine umbrella. Oh yes, and she's just she is so excited. So you know, I mean, it makes it it makes it easier to say say goodbye. But you know, when you load them into the vehicle and watch them leave, you're kind of like, oh, I took care of you from the time you were a baby, you know see him go but it she'll do she'll be wonderful and and in in my herd you know i loved her i was glad to have her in this young lady's herd she is going to be her superstar standout so that's really exciting for her too she'll get she'll get a lot of special attention and and a lot of love and 
and uh, so it's it's good to see her go, but sad to see her go. And I think everybody kind of understands that. So, well, one less one to feed. That's always That's right. exciting. Here. That's right. That's right. Uh, one down. Still have a few more to get to to you know take a look at. So, Colty, you cry, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Correct there on that one. What else? Anything else? No, that's about it. Got the heated water buckets out. So it's always relieving when you plug those in and you see that they're still working because, man, they're pretty pricey to to, uh, replace. But uh, put new fresh straw and bedding in the barns and uh, got everybody toasty for the cold weather here. So how about you, Cameron? I know you've been busy this weekend. Uh, A little bit, yeah. Um, We actually went and bought our first um, heated water buckets today, actually. Um, because we didn't have any, so um, we went and bought the bought one just for the bucks. There, everything else is actually doing pretty well and not uh, freezing at all. So that's kind of nice. Um, other than that, we um, bred some goats, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on there. But bred the two um, mysterious Toggenbergs that we hadn't been able to catch yet um, in heat. So it did some interesting things there. We'll talk about that a little later on there. But we officially only have. One goat left to be serviced on the farm. Service, not bread. Service there. Um, so pretty excited for that. Um, did some more ultrasounds as well there in in the barn. So we did some um, fetal counts and then confirmed if a couple goats were pregnant or not. Pretty excited that our dry two year old, aka the barn bum. Um, is is bred this year is confirmed bred after 25 days um, via rectal ultrasound so uh, excited on that and a big old smile across um, my wife's face when that happened there um, we, we you know we're all pretty good but we've got questions on one there and Laura I know you did some ultrasounds today as well do you sometimes find that ultrasounds leads to more questions than answers Yes, because it makes me nervous. I'm not as confident in my ultrasound skills as I'd like to be. So then you're faced with that dilemma. Okay, so do I go ahead and wait another week and pull blood and send that off? So that puts me another another week. Or do I go ahead and loot them because I think they're not pregnant and then go ahead and try to breed them? It's yes. So it leads to more questions sometimes than it does answers. Yeah, I agree. We had one that Catherine's like, I I don't know if she's the first freshener or like, well, she wasn't the first freshener, but like she wasn't able to determine how many and do a fetal count, but she was like 40-ish days along, so she should be able to. So I don't really know. Again, not really in my wheelhouse there. I'll, I'll What? How many days? 60 days along, apparently. So, hmm. um, so. Yeah, um, she's screaming from the other room underneath the weighted blanket because I refuse to turn the heat up in the house. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, that old dilemma. That's always fun. Um, <laughs> you you didn't mention what I would think is like one of the most exciting things that you guys had done this weekend. Oh, dry treat goats? No, that's not <laughs> exciting. I'm talking about your Wi-Fi. Yeah, so we configured our Wi-Fi um, for the barn, and that's completely done as well. So we've got a like a separate, basically, ecosystem between the house and the barn there, and we can actually um, jump between the two Wi-Fis there. So um, if you come to my barn, um, I can tell you the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> and um, yeah, so 
um, we we do have that there. Uh, and that was done and took some time, but we got it done. That is going to be so nice to have stable cameras that you don't have to worry about blinking out with bad weather or, you know, standing in the wrong corner or whatever. That's that's just going to be wonderful. It is. It is. So it's going to be really nice for cameras once we get those installed. And um, obviously when the TV comes as well, because the barn always needs the TV um, in there. So I'm pretty excited for that. <laughs> also, um, also probably going to. I'm going to try to put an iPad in the barn again at some point. This is my pipe dream here. Um, so we can do a lot of um, logging digitally of our records. Um, we already do that with our breedings. Very, 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 very religiously here. Like I'm looking at my ultrasound bread sheet here that I have. We have um, like date bread, status. Um, we've got it color coded. We've got when they're going to reach 21 days, when they're going to reach 30 days, when they're going to reach 42 days, when they're going to reach 150 days. And then we've got um, baby counts as well. And then I've got another column of what we think the sex might be. And then we've got a third column, which we'll talk about a little later on as well. So um, would like to do some more digital record keeping there of just such, because um, again, we have internet everywhere. So uh, one of the things I wanted to point out about iPads, you know, if you drop them, they're usually toast, right? Yeah, there's good. There's pretty good cases on them these days, I will say. And I would think, um, I guess my biggest concern, at least with the barn and the current state is right now, is the amount of dust that could get in it, especially mm-hmm. in those ports there. Um, like I know, for example, like in my current iPhone I have, I mean, I've had this iPhone for um, basically since 2018, so four years now, and they cleaned out like I, my iPhone wasn't charging properly and it's still not. So I have to put it on a charge pad, but I went to the Apple store. I was like, can you guys take a look at this? They cleaned out so much, like just like fines of hay and straw and dirt and gunk there from all the goat shows I had been to. So that's kind of my biggest concern there. Well, um, so the hospital that I work at, our uh, cable television carrier all of a sudden just dropped us like out of the blue. And if you want to see a hospital full of really angry people, take their television away. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we weren't able to get a replacement carrier for about two weeks. So for two, you know, for the first several days, we just had, as I said, a bunch of really angry people and angry, sick people. They're not, nice to deal with. So (laughs) our hospital got a bunch of iPads and they found these really awesome cases and they're OtterBox cases. I don't know exactly what the case was called, but I think you could drive a tank over them and it would not harm your iPad. So I always thought if I took an iPad to the barn, that's exactly what I would want. It has covers for all of the openings, you know, like the charging port and and everything on it, um, it has a protector over the screen, and then it has like a lid that that covers over that iPad that totally protects the whole thing. It's just really cool. So I would I would say look into OtterBox. Yeah, for sure yeah. on that there. Plus, I'd like to keep you know instructions for people or other things there. Again, I we're just I. We live in a digital world, and I I didn't own a printer until my company gave me one. So. Right. Yeah. No, I totally get it. Yeah. And and then keeping the printer full of ink is the other battle in itself because the ink is worth more than the printer. Always. Mm -hmm. (laughs) For sure. 
Um, but yeah, other than that, um, dry treated some goats as well there. So I think we've got two left to dry treat. Um, one is my dad's goat, which he didn't come dry treated. And the other one is actually one of our does. That's our first doe that's due. Uh, she's just a little, little milk truck there. And I'm like, girl, you got, you got to stop at some point. Yeah. Sometimes you just want to say, I wish you had an off switch because that would be easier. Oh, absolutely there. So other than that, I mean, that was kind of our weekend here. Um, not, not, I mean, busy, busy enough, but, um, with that one goat left to service, I did want to ask you, Laura, um, we are kind of going back and forth on this kid was born late April, kind of small, but pretty good size now, but maybe, you know, just a, a tick smaller in terms of, um, not not like skeletal growth width in the leg bone wise because she's got good on that but like growing up wise you know north and south compared to you know east and west of the leg bone there um our question for you is and i'll I'll ponder this as you here is do we breed her to kid with the rest of the herd hypothetically or do we plan for her to kid in may to maybe give her you know another three weeks of growth there but again may kids don't do well as well there so what are your thoughts on that I probably would breed her to kid in May and just know in the back of my head, I'm not going to keep these kids. Gotcha. That's actually not a bad idea. Um, that's yeah, that I think that's what I would do. We're kind of faced with a similar dilemma. I've, I have two dry yearlings that, um, should be bred. I saw the buck breed them. He's a young buck. Um, and they are not bred. So, and they're about 36 days past their breeding date at this point. So I'm faced with, Hmm. Okay. Do I breed them back to their sire? Do I breed them to the Sonnen? Um, whatever I'm going to do, the breeding I'm going to make, I'm just going to know I'm not going to keep these kids. I think these does are going to turn out and be beautiful, but I just hate, hate kids that much that I don't, I just don't want to mess with it. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I agree on that front there. Um, but yeah, that was that's kind of the discussion going back and forth and Catherine's yelling from the bedroom, I hate May kids. Oh, gosh, I do too. I hate them. <laughs> I hate them with a passion. Yes. But as I remind you, junior yearling class, one of the lowest um, <laughs> classes. I mean, that's statistically proven there that the junior yearling class, except, excluding Nigerian dwarfs, is one of the smallest classes in every breed. And I would also argue, I'm, if I get some extra time, I might go back and see if this is true. But it seems to me like there are quite a few either national champions or, or reserve junior champions that come out of that class, too. Well, it's interesting because Catherine just texted me class of the 2021 junior national or junior national champion tag, which was her goat, actually. Um, but I will tell you from a judge's perspective, and I think it was, I was talking to Tom Considine. And he said it best, I love a junior dry yearling. Like she's a little immature, like a kid, but she's kind of got that Im- that maturity there. And sometimes if they've got a good enough growth there, but they haven't like fattened up, you know, thickened up on the dry yearling, the dry yearling thickness there, um, they can be really, really, really cool to look at. They can be. And, and if you think about it, like, uh, yeah. Everybody knows from our episode a couple times ago, I am not a big dry yearling fan. Um, 
And, and I will also point out that, you know, those dry yearlings in, in the late May or the late April, early May, even maybe into June, they're beautiful. And, and it's easy, I think, for a judge's eye to go to them. But it seems like after the end of June and you get into July and August, they just get kind of chunky and they're not, they're not that stand out and that's when those junior yearlings really do shine i think i i agree with you they have the maturity you want but they're not fat mm-hmm. i agree on that one there but um laura what is happening in adgo land here uh, to me it looks like that they're still moving along with trying to get things done i know that they just did a big sprint right cameron which means a sprint meaning new fixes in ng new things that are that are supposed to be fixed yeah there's a there's a whole slew of stuff that was that was fixed there um including um to my to my knowledge as well here specifically um you can submit dna on goats now so that's that's good so you can go ahead and you can do that directly from not the jolt form but do it directly from the uh the actual screen because I tried to go and do that actually today here um, on some goats and then um, also did um, some improvements in just the system and making sure that those are good as well there. So um, lots of good things coming out of that sprint and an exciting time as well there. Additionally, I'm looking at my board of paperwork that I have at ADGA and I have, I had four things on here about two weeks ago. Um, I've got two and I know the other one has been shipped out. So all I have is a DNA test I'm waiting for. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, and I had some fairly complicated issues, I would say. Um some some um you know, some different goats that needed reprint and did a paper reprint. I had a goat that we had to um, get the sire corrected um, after a DNA test on a doe um, because we wanted to verify that there and, and we needed to show her. So we had to get that fixed there. Um, and and then obviously the paper transfer as well there. Additionally, I had some more complex scenarios that I submitted through Edgar support. So I had a doe that specifically um, they had I had sold to a person. Um, and then they had lost the paper in a move. So, so I had to file a support ticket and I had to produce a, um, bill of sale with that as well there. So produced the bill of sale, sent that off and Adga then, um, actually transferred the goat to the new owner from our list to, um, the owner's list and then sent the paper off as well. And she got it all before her first show uh, that she was going to show the goat at. Oh, perfect. That's awesome. So, it's, it, I, you know, I, I think bit by bit that elephant's being eaten, you know, a bite at a time. And uh, I, I think it's, I think it's all getting better. I know that we're all really eager to hear about uh, committee selections and hopefully that'll come out pretty soon because it's times, times a ticking. It's time to be getting some of this committee work done. So correct. I think one thing that I've kind of generally seen on Facebook and maybe a good practice here is to use that bill of sale that Adga has on their website when they're selling animals or be prepared to help buyers, um, you know, with that bill of sale if they would need it with Adga. Um, because at the end of the day, that is kind of the secondary or auxiliary paperwork that they would need if a paper would ever get lost or something like that. I've seen a couple cases Recently in Facebook land that I think a, a bill of sale would actually help. 
So what you're saying, Cameron, is when you sell a goat to somebody and you fill out the bottom part of the paper that says, you know, on this day with the date that you're selling this goat to someone, also use that bill of sale form and fill out that in addition to it? Yes, because that's, again, that's kind of an auxiliary form of, of paperwork in order to create that paper trail that's needed there. Um, I've gotten, you know, I've, I, you know, that you can do all that there and it really helps those buyers in case they ever are in a bind. That sounds like a really great idea. I, I'll start implementing that. Yeah, just something for those that have had trouble with paperwork there and, and you need um, something in order to prove some things there. And obviously um, it's signed by the by the seller as well. So, yeah. I think any time that we can, though, um, if you can do things electronically, especially if you're registering a brand new kid, just go ahead and transfer it to the to the buyer at the same time that you register the kid. That makes it so much easier for everyone. Yeah, and, and a lot of people have asked me, it's like, well, why would I do that? I have to pay the fee. Well, you can actually bill the other person. That's what I like about it as well there. Right, or just change change the price of your animals to include it. It's not that much money, and especially if it's a, if it's a new person who hasn't been in goats very long and maybe they're not terribly familiar with how to do things um, with ADGA, it sure makes sense to do everything you can to make it easier for them. Yeah. Absolutely there. So uh, it seems like things are going well. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. Again, we're going to continue to um, work stuff out there. Yeah, we didn't get in this pickle overnight. And, you know, we were only only um, about a month and a couple of weeks past things getting put into place. So I think more and more we're going to see things that are moving along and and uh, getting fixed, hopefully so. Yeah, absolutely there. So uh, moving right along, Laura, what are we talking about today? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that we have a real solid topic other than I think it could all fit under the heading of fall. Things to do in the fall with your goats, things to think about in the fall with your goats. Does mm-hmm. that work for you? That works for me. I was just thinking it was Laura and Cameron's crazy uh, things in their brain. That too. Um, you know, for our listeners, during the week, oftentimes we talk about things, hey, have you ever thought about that? Or um, this is something that my brain was working on at two o'clock in the morning. And what do you think about this? So uh, these are kind of some of those things that we think about and uh, might give you some things to consider too. All right, uh, Laura, I want to start here because I got something big on my mind that I want to talk okay. about. Um, trailers. Trailers, trailers, trailers. Again, fall, slow, slower goat season time here. Um, but Laura, do you like to keep your trailer in a, uh, you know, um, somewhere where it's out of the elements or does it get parked out all outside? I would love to be able to keep my trailer out of the elements. And you hear, would love to. Um, I don't have I don't have a place to keep it, so nope, it stays out in the elements. So I actually have two trailers. I have a a little tiny trailer, um, and then I have actually it's my husband's is his stock trailer that um, is an aluminum trailer. So you know I don't worry about that one rusting. My little trailer is not aluminum. So uh, wish I had a place to put it underneath um, 
shelter, but I don't. So the best that I can do is to keep it cleaned out so that it doesn't get moisture uh, in hay and straw that helps rot the bottom out of it. It has a wooden floor in it. So that's something that I'm always kind of mindful of and uh, try to put it under some trees to give it a little bit of shelter, but it's not, it's not away. Do you put yours away for the winter? So we haven't in the past. I think this year we might actually, but it's currently being used as kind of our love shack as well there. Um, <laughs> so the love shack got some action this weekend. And again, I'll talk about that a little later on there, but, um, and I keep dropping hints. Like I'm going to, like, it's going to be this crazy thing that we're going to talk about later, but it's not, well, it kind of is, but again, um, but the love, but the love shack got used as well there. I talked to Catherine about bringing it in as well there. Um, but we've got some other trailer maintenance that really needs to be redone. Um, especially with our lights, like we had a puppy and puppies are very curious. Um, I love the puppy, but I hate the puppy. Um, um, and he like reconfigured some wiring when it was in there. So, um, like uh, one of some of our lights don't work the best right now. Oh, I think that's I, honestly, Cameron, don't you feel like that puppy or no puppy every few years, you need to go back through that again, because it seems like there's always something that, you know, maybe it's a curious goat that jumps up and does some nibbling. Maybe, um, uh, a wire got pinched in a door and all of a sudden you're missing one of your taillights or, uh, you know, things just burn out bulbs burn out and you don't know if it's a wiring problem or a bulb problem. I think every once in a while, it's just a good idea to get some of that maintenance done and just go through it. Don't you? Absolutely there. And again, it's always important to make sure that you have lights on your trailer. Um, again, Legally, it is required, <laughs> and uh, um, additionally, you never know when, when you're going to need them. Well, right, because even though it's not show season anymore, uh, you know, before show season hits, you've got kidding season, and what if you have a doe that needs vet attention and you have to take it into the vet clinic or or whatever? You want to be able to have a trailer that's that's in good running condition, and I don't know about you, but it seems like when I wait to the last minute to get something done, it always takes three times as longer, three times as long to get it done. So if I wait until the week before I'm going to my first show to get all this maintenance done on my trailer, uh, it's just going to be frustration for everybody. Yeah, I agree there. Um, additionally, I went to this a couple of years back because we actually got our wheel bearings repacked on our trailers as well there. Again, something that doesn't really need to be done except for like every five to 10 years, but um, it, it, it is a good thing to get those redone as well there. And we also had our trailer brakes replaced and boy, oh boy, did that significantly help the braking capacity of the trailer? Did it really? Like you could, you could honestly feel a difference. Yeah. So on the F-250 for my dad's truck, um, they actually have a trailer brake sensitivity, uh, feature on that there. And, um, it was all the way up. <laughs> But <laughs> um, when 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 we uh, got those wheel bearings back repacked and the brakes changed out there, that significantly changed it. Yeah, my truck has that too, so I'll have to I'll have to pay attention to that to see if that makes a difference. Yeah, definitely. You don't notice it at first, but when you start messing with it, there that that's when it comes to change. But I really suggest if you have had a trailer for five to ten years that you do repack those wheel bearings, and it's. 
you know, it, it, it's going to cost you a little bit, but I think just the overall safety maintenance of the trailer is going to help ease your peace of mind. I think we redid the tra- when we redid the trailer, and this was the big gooseneck here. It costs with the wheel barreling, with the uh, wheel bearings repacking and new brakes on everything. It was about eight hundred bucks. Wow. And when you think about the fact that wheel bearings that need to be repacked but don't get repacked are a great fire hazard, $800 is a drop in the bucket compared to what it could be if you had a trailer fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, yeah, so that's that's my spiel on, again, repacking the wheel bearings and the brakes there. Uh, I don't generally worry about tires right now. I, I really don't because you're not really going anywhere-ish. Um, but if you do feel so inclined, I mean, I would look into getting those tires or at least start thinking about putting on new tires as well there and, and devote some resources towards that. Yeah, start budgeting for it because Lord knows in the spring, um, that's a big chunk of change to have to shell out all at once to if you need to put new t- tires on your trailer. Mm-hmm. Laura, do you use your trailer as like uh, hay storage or anything during the winter? Not hay storage, but we use it for um, bad boy bucks who insist on getting out storage. Um, So ours, I wouldn't say it was the love shack. It was more like solitary confinement for the past several weeks. Um, We had a buck in the front compartment and a buck in the back compartment. And, you know, again, aluminum trailer, you could hear them pound and bang around almost all night long when they knew that there were does in heat. But um, especially when it's a breeding that I absolutely did not want to take any chances that they could find a way out of Fort Knox. That's where they go. So, um, but part of the problem with that is then I have to remember, okay, now, now that we're breeding seasons done and I'm not so worried about them getting out. Um, I've got to get that trailer cleaned because there is nothing, nothing that can rot out a trailer quicker than leaving, um, old bedding in there to, to attract varmints and to attract uh, moisture to really harm your trailer. Oh yeah, absolutely there. Um, and replacing those boards is not easy as well there. Um, I get it. It's just wood, but, and wood prices have come down, but it's still not easy. And it's not really something that, you know, you want to be doing in the winter. No, no, but you don't want to do it in the spring either. When You know, you're looking at going to a show. You're like, Oh man, I'm going to lose goats out the, holes in my trailer floor. So, you know, you don't, you don't want to get yourself into that situation either. So a little bit of uh, preventative maintenance can really save you a lot of money and time next year. Yes. I would agree on that one there. Um, Laura, what's your kind of one of your things that you like to do with the fall? Well, one of the things, and I know we touched on this probably two years ago on our podcast, but um, I know that for me, after that last show of the year, I tend to unpack everything in the garage and, and, you know, set it aside and don't really think about it. And the other day I realized that, oh, wow, it's going to freeze. And I've got stuff in my tack box that really needs to come out like um, medications and glass bottles, uh, um, goat shampoo that's going to freeze and explode. And there is nothing worse than having exploded shampoo all over the bottom of your tack box getting on things that you don't want shampoo on. So um, just remember to pull out all the liquid things and the freezable things that you have with your show stuff. If you're not keeping it in a warm place this winter and go ahead and winterize your, your show stuff. So you don't have 
explosion excitement next spring. Yeah, we actually just took everything outside of the barn um, there as well, including um, some medicine, some like Shoshin stuff, like anything that could freeze our, our um, uh, what's that called? Why can't I think of it there? Um, what, what do we use as a teat dip? The blue stuff. Why can't I think of it there? Fight back. Fight oh, back. fight back. Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. That can freeze too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so we took all that out of the barn actually this week as well here. One, because we were out there uh, putting out the Wi-Fi, and two, it's like, okay, we probably need to do this there. Yeah, just, you know, remember that these things, again, out of sight, out of mind, but uh, you'll thank yourself next spring when you don't have to clean up that mess. Absolutely so. there. Um, uh, the other thing that I was that I kind of ran into when I was cleaning out my tack box, um, clippers. All kinds of goat clippers, big clippers, little clippers, um, clipper blades. And I realized that these need some attention too. Is that something that you hit in the fall as well? Yeah, absolutely. There, I actually have a set of clipper blades on my, um, what's that called? My table, my kitchen table uh, there in order to, they actually need to go in the pile to get set off to sharpening there as well. But also like, I feel like clipper blades are used significantly less right now. The only thing we're really using them for will be um, just our trims for ultrasound machine. Yeah. So, you know, you can keep back one number 10 blade or whatever you're going to use for it and send the rest of them off. But this is, you know, this is the time of year that I would guess your clipper blade sharpening people, whomever you use, probably appreciate the winter uh, business because there's not quite such the push to get them back as there is in the summertime. And uh, you can have all of your blades nice, clean, and sharp and ready to go and not be scrambling around next spring thinking, oh, gr- gross, this one won't clip. This one won't clip either. And and we all know that first clip of the year is usually the hardest one on your clipper blades anyway. So if they're already dull to start with, you're going to be in for a world of hurt on that. Yeah, I think in addition to that with clipper blades as well, I think it's just really good to blow out all that old hair in those clippers. I know when I look at, at clippers there and I, you know, they've been sitting with the crevices there, um, just full of hair and dirt and all sorts of other things. So I think that's really important, something to consider there. And I like to use like a shop back for that to just kind of blow that air through or like any type of old thing as well. Like I'm going to use um, actually the, uh, we've got an old like uh, show blower for like cattle that they'd use. I'm going to blow them out with that actually. Um, air compressors. If if you've got an air compressor in the shop, that's what I always used growing up was my dad's old air compressor, and and you know blow them out. But even if you if you don't have any of that, you can go buy a can of like that compressed air that you clean your keyboard out with on your computer, and that you can use that to blow your clippers and your clipper blades out. And don't forget about those clippers too, because most of them have a little area that has a screen where it um, will pull air in and those get disgusting full of hair if you're not careful. Oh, absolutely. I've seen those so many times there. It's, it's bad there. And also a lot of those people that repair or excuse me, um, actually sharpen will actually repair old clippers as well there. So we've, we've done that in the past where we've, where we've actually went and, and had those repaired there. Do they last as long as the old ones. Oh no. Or is that a brand new pair? No, they don't. But again, Everything is going up right now. If you can spend three dollars to sharpen, or you know, ten bucks to fix your clippers there, and it lasts you two more years, that's better than going and buying a new one. 
Cameron, do you send your the clipper body, you know, the actual motor, the actual body, in for any type of um, just preventative maintenance or pre- preventative going over during the off season? No, I never have, and I never even thought to actually. I haven't thought about doing that either, but I wondered. Um, I I realized the other day the big clippers that I have, they're a pair of Lister Stars. I've had those clippers for almost 12 years and we've used them every summer. And I thought, you know, they probably, it probably wouldn't hurt to send those in and get those to be gone through, (laughs) you know, see what needs, see what needs to be done on them. If they need any type of, of internal maintenance or, or, you know, really deep cleaning or whatever, they've, they've been a really great workhorse, but I'd like to get a few more years out of them. So. Yeah, absolutely. They're at Lister stars are great. And anybody that's, ever used the Lister Star. I know this isn't a clipping debate show, but um, Lister Stars are my go-to on the bodies there. Mine too. They're lightweight. Uh, they clip clip through all kinds of hair and and uh, they're easy for kids to hold on to too. I, I feel like that they're, they're just really an outstanding clipper. I remember when I was like nine or 10 and I was clipping a goat. My dad had the big oysters, o- oysters out, you know, those really big ones. And they made like a... Oh, oh yeah, they got hot. They got hot so fast. There, my dogs are coming to join the podcast. After they heard that noise, um, <laughs> but they just got so hot, and I was just like, "Why are we using these still?" Oh yeah, they're they're pretty miserable. Well, we'll have to we'll have to do an episode on clippers, I think, sometime. But just don't forget about your clippers. Get them ready so that when next spring hits and you're excited to get your goats clipped off because I know that for me, when it gets consistently warm outside, I am just itching, pun intended, to get all that winter hair off of off of the girls and see how beautiful they all look. That's that's always a highlight of my spring. So, I will I always oh, we're not I know we're talking about clipping here, but I think you know, I always like to do that so earlier and I really like to blow that hair off as soon as I can because I can't stand looking at them. And especially these freaking shaggy togs will be even worse because, um, again, their hair just is impossible to cut through in some places. And they grow mohair and they're just, again, they're they're mountain goats, I guess. So, Yeah, some, of the, some togs just look like those walking Yeti goats. <laughs> Their hair is so long. It's just kind of amazing. Yes. I can't wait. I, I can't wait to clip them off. I would clip them off next week if I could, but I can't. <laughs> you don't want to freeze poor little things. Oh gosh. So sure. Cameron, you mentioned um, about sending in D- DNA. Let's talk about that too, because to me, that's something that this is a great time of year to get some animals DNA for you. Well, I think about, you know, if you haven't used your three for Adga Plus there, I mean, go ahead and use those. It's it's cheaper there as well there. I was actually at a good friend's house, and he's actually in the process of DNAing his entire herd right now um, because, one, he wants to be able to sell kids out of that, and, two, he's just, um, you know, gen- genuinely curious and making sure that everything checks out. So just making sure that the, peg- the pedigree is strong there and, as my recent DNA snafu has taught me, it's important to make sure we are always on top of things um, with DNA as well there. But uh, again, I think it's now is the time to send those in, especially before kidding. So if you do have any snafus or if you do have any questions um, in, in the spring, you can get those addressed rather quickly. Right. Being able, having the, having the parents DNA is just, a step along that path that makes it so much easier when you get those kids. 
Yeah, it, it, it is there. And, you know, I'm, and we're going to, again, we're going to talk about this a little later on. Um, but, but when you do different things or interesting things, it's important to have them on file. And you never know when that animal's going to die as well there. Right. And I think it's, I think it's our ADGA president, Mark Baden, who told me that every kid that he has born, every kid that he has born, he pulls hair and um, puts it in a sealed paper envelope and just keeps it, you know, identifies who the, who the kid is, but keeps that because you never know if you might need to do DNA down the road. And I think that is such a good idea. Yeah, I agree. I agree on that one there. Yes, yeah, so that I think it's important now there they've got the they were supposed to have the new DNA request feature in here. I saw it this weekend and now all of a sudden I, I can't see it in here now. Um I also haven't cleared my cookies for a while as well, and I'm not gonna do that in the middle of this podcast. Oh, there it is. It just it appeared again now, and I think it has something to do with my cookies. So again, that DNA request form is there as well there. So you can automatically do that and it will automatically bill you through the system, which is is great there. Perfect. Yay. It's always fun when new features pop up. That it is. That it is there. So again, feel free to do that as well there and get those bucks samples on files or does on file there. Um, Laura, let's talk about kind of, you know, you have all your DNA on your bucks, correct there? Um, you know what? There, <laughs> no, I, the, <laughs> my, my new little buck, I don't have DNA on him yet, but that's on my to-do list to get that sent in, but well, that's, the other that's, box, yes, that's mine as well. There, he, my my junior herd sire, my dad's uh, three junior herd sires do not have um, um, DNA on file, but the other ones do. Yeah, I think you know it, it and it, my goal also is eventually to have my entire herd DNA tested. Um, I've got a good a good chunk of the does done. Usually by the time they hit the age of two and I know that they're going to be a keeper, I go ahead and get them done. So it's the kids and the yearlings that haven't been DNA'd yet. And that's, and is, and what percentage of your doe base would you say is, is DNA'd? Um, probably a little more than half right now. Okay. Okay. That's, that's good there. I, I'm just curious because I, I don't even know where to start, but I feel like being at, at two years old would probably be the place to start. And that's the comment I made to Catherine today. I was like, well, if we want to start DNA, we should probably start DNA at two because two generally means that they're going to stay a little longer there. If you think about those off ramps that we talked about there, it's like a lot of two-year-olds that make it as two-year-olds and granted you might have four are probably going to be there. At least two out of the four are going to be there until they're three or four even. Right. And you're more likely to be keeping offspring out of them too. So I think it, again, I think that's another good reason to go ahead and, and DNA them if, if you can. So. Yeah, I, I agree on that one there, but again, I think it's something that's, that's so important to get done there um, at, at this time as well. And I, you know, I, I would hate to think that eventually all animals will have to be a DNA tested. I, I hope that doesn't happen. I think it's really smart for the bucks to have it done. And, and I, you know, I don't think we want to take the time to go into that because that is something that's coming down the road, but I do hope that the market continues to drive the importance of DNA and that, you know, buyers are going to start saying, you know, Hey, I, I really would like to buy animals from you. Could you go ahead and have your herd DNA tested or could you have this breeding DNA tested? I just want to, I just want some, 
I want some assurance that these animals are who you're saying that they are. There's always trust, but I also think that, you know, it's a good point to go ahead and, and make sure that that's happening. You know, uh-huh. let the buyer drive the market. instead. Let of the trust. buyer drive the market. Yep. Yeah, that's a big thing there. Laura, what else is on your mind? Um, well, you know, I, <laughs> I was talking with someone the other day, and we were talking about how hard it is sometimes to have good goat slash life balance, you know? Um, and I think whether you're brand new to goats and you're kind of in that honeymoon period where you, you want all the goat t-shirts and you want all the goat bumper stickers on your car and, and that's all you want to do is eat, sleep, and drink goats. I mean, it's it's fun, and goat people are great, and goats are wonderful little animals that give you affection back, and, and shows are fun. And it's really easy to get caught up in, into the headiness of being in a goat society. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, sometimes I think that's, you know, you, you, yes, I would agree. But then I also think that that time goes on and you kind of realize that it can really suck everything out of your life. And there are people in your life who probably don't appreciate the goats on the level that you do. Um, work, work friends or family members. And, and you kind of have to learn to back up a little bit and remember that that you need to have that balance. It's not, it's not good to have everything in your life wrapped up around your goats. And, and I, and I just have to keep reminding myself of that. You know, it's good to step away from the goats for a while. It's good to have friends who have nothing to do with goats for a while. And, and just remember that, that not everybody is, is obsessed about it is what you might be. I love to look at this time of the year as an off goat season, for lack of a better terms. Um, fall, you're drying up your goats there. You're getting them bred. You know, breeding goats, and this is my opinion here, is not a big time commitment, especially if you have um, rather uh, aggressive males there as well. Um, so it, it's not a big time commitment. I think this is an important time of the year to say, Okay, you know, my goat life can take a, a backseat to some of the other stuff that might be going on. Uh, yeah, I think so too. And and I think along with that, Cameron, um, you know, you can also take some time to maybe do non-goat things with the people in your life that uh, put up with your goat hobby, <laughs> put up with your goat obsession, however you want to put it but maybe don't quite enjoy it on the same level that you do. So, you know, maybe this is the time of year that you go, go on a little trip somewhere and don't say the word goat the entire time. Or, um, you know, you, you can stay out later. You can go out to dinner because maybe you're not milking anything at this time of year. And, or if you are, you know, the production's down. So maybe it's not quite as big of a deal if you're late. And, and I just feel like that, that, just like you, Cameron, this is kind of an easy time of year to have goats. Um, I know that in the fall, I fall in love with the goats again. Not that I've fallen out of love, but to me, breeding season is one of the most exciting times because every breeding that you're making, hopefully in your head, is going to be the next national champion or the best goat that you've ever bred. And there's so much promise and so much excitement about breeding that um, 
you know, chores are quicker, breeding's fun. You've got all these plans that you can make. I I just really enjoy the fall for that reason. I look at it as a as a calendar here. This is my calendar here. We start winter. It's too cold to enjoy the goats, especially in the Midwest. Here, it's a struggle to find that energy, that gusto to go outside and, and take care of them because it's too freaking cold. Yeah. Um, you know, spring, you're a slave to the goat life. I mean, babies, babies everywhere. And it's mud up here in the Midwest. Mud everywhere. Um, which is terrible to look at there. And then summer, slave to the goat life. I was looking at my my judging schedule and my goat schedule, um, overlaying that with my work schedule, and I'm like, God, this summer's gonna fly by again because I am a slave to the goats between going to goat shows or judging goat shows. Or thinking about all of the time where you need to prep for goat shows because you have to clip 25 goats to go to the goat show. There, you are a slave to the goats during the summer there. But then the fall kicks in and you're like, okay, you're less of a slave to the goat show. But you're also at the point where you can just enjoy them a little more. Yeah, I think so too. I think so. So just just don't forget about the people in your life that, that um, you know – don't share that same obsession and, and remember to have a little bit of goat life balance in there. Yes. I think that's so important there. Um, I want to move on and I want to talk about the thing that I've been thinking about talking about called specifically Laura about on Saturday morning. I think I would like to say I woke her up, but I don't think I did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But I had this crazy idea. I was like, Laura, what if I, what if I breed a buck? What if I breed a goat? Excuse me, to two different bucks, like AI her. And she's like, okay. And I was like, but what if one didn't have DNA on file? What would happen there? And that just has really got me thinking about, okay, like breeding goats to two different bucks because I think it's fun. Yeah, I think that I think the idea that you can. I mean, honestly, you should be able to look at that type of a scenario and make a lot of genetic advancement in your herd because, you know, you're, you're, you've got one doe and if she, you're considering this, she's got to be a darn good one that you can get kids out of her in one year out of two different sires. That's pretty exciting if it works that way. Yes, absolutely there. And so this weekend we have two goats. talked about it last week. They're the, some of the two best target birds on the farm. They have been short cycling, recycling, not cycling. I don't know what they've been doing. All sorts of cycling there. They're basically bicyclists at this point. Um, <laughs> but we caught them all, in, both of them in heat, same time, same day. So I bred one to the one buck, and he was like out of breath. I mean, he was just like exhausted there after his soiree in the trailer i was like i just want you to bread so i got out the little buck who's got a lot of gusto and i was like okay do your thing buddy and we that's what we did is we bred two goats to two different bucks and i am not ashamed by it and i will publicly say it but i've got that other column now in my spreadsheet is the goats i need to go back and dna the kids out you know, when, when I've had that happen and, and I'll, you know, honestly, sometimes it's happened not because I've mindfully done it because, oh crap, he got out too, you know, kind of a thing. Um, I always sit back and kind of think, okay, so let's look at this. Like you, Cameron, I always make a notation to say, I need to DNA test this, but okay. 
there's a chance that this doe could have nothing but buck kids. And in that case, you know, do I even want to consider keeping a buck out of this breeding? Okay, if I do, then I'll DNA test it. If I don't, I'm fine with letting them go. It's fine. I don't need to know who the dad is. And if they have doe kids, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and DNA test both of them if the mom turns out right, because, you know, I definitely, definitely want to know for sure who those kids are out of. So I think, I think there are several scenarios that you can look at and make that decision on whether or not it's worth DNA testing the kids or just letting the kids go as unregistered kids or experimentals or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Um, but on the question, if one has DNA and one sire doesn't, I'm not quite sure how that's handled. I'm because not I, either. I not. don't know that Adga would say by default, it's the other Buck's kid. I, I'm not sure that they would do that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure either. I went and looked at the, actually the two, the two Bucks I have. Um, I don't want to say throwaway semen on, but it's kind of throwaway semen. Um, but it's also interesting semen. That's the best way to put it there. And I was like, okay, do they both have DNA on file? No, they don't. Um, so you can burn a straw, obviously, of, of that there because they're grandfathered in under that. And you can you can get their get their semen on file there. But also when you do that, I always am a little leery because I think about what other ramifications could there be. Um, for that as well there you know could there be other goats affected by it could there be you know those that you know that i think about those things because i don't want an entire herd book to be thrown out right and that's i think you have to think about that and especially if you're using old semen that it would be impossible to track down relatives i mean if it's you know 25 30 year old semen you're not going to be able to find much. It, it's just, there's just a lot to think about. And I think as, as we've seen in other types of reproductive technology, the farther we get along and, you know, do new things and figure out new things, it just add, adds that many more questions too. So I don't know, kind of, kind of an interesting thought. Yes. I, yes, I'm excited for the double breedings as I'll call them there. Um, I, I don't think, I don't think the one is going to be double breeding, but again, I, I, I don't know that though, because he was served, she was serviced once by the one buck and then once by the other buck, at least, at least once by the other buck and then serviced four times by the first buck that serviced her. So, and that was, those were all today. So I'm not, I, I think knowing what Catherine knows about repro and everything there. But again, we will DNA them just in case there. And the other one's just a complete crap shoot. So um, I'm, I'm excited for them. Both of them are sires that I would want to use on both of the goats. So it's not like I'm out. It's not like they're crap bucks or like, I just need them to get bread. I really just do need them to get bread, but also at the same time, it's like I'm excited about the opportunities as well there. So Cameron, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Would you consider doing that type of a breeding with AI followed by a live breeding? Absolutely not. So and let's talk about that because I, t- I was talking with one of my daughters about it and I said, you know, I think there's a couple of problems with that, but one of them is the volume of semen that you're going to get from a live breeding is so much bigger than the volume of semen that you're going to get from an AI straw. And and granted, a good straw of semen has plenty of semen to get the job done, 
But when you compare it with a shot from a live buck, there's no comparison there. And then the second problem I think that there is, is your timing is so different because I know that for me, my best conceptions on an AI breeding have come after the doe is no longer interested in standing for the buck. So I don't know how you would do, I don't know how you would follow, how you would do the both in the same breeding. Correct. I I agree with you on that there. Um, I I think back to some of the sports um, betting that I've, that I've been involved in here. And one thing I always say is hungry dogs run faster which means that if you are having, um, if you're down and out, if you've lost a couple, you've got a little bit more hunger and drive there. And those, those live guys or, or live service are a lot hungrier than those frozen guys are. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. So that, that's one thing I always consider as well. There is like mixing and matching there is, is, is it's never going to work out in your favor. In my opinion there, and of course, my my veterinarian probably has a very different opinion, or the same opinion. The same opinion. I think she has the same opinion as mine. But um, you know, to me, it's just so important that whatever you're doing, if you're using two bucks there, it's the same type of um, reproductive service that you're providing there. So if you're doing only AI and you want to do two bucks, do only AI. Don't mix and match. So to our listeners, if you have had personal experience. In this exact scenario where you've done AI and live breeding and you end up with kids out of both, I would totally be interested in hearing about that. So um, I think it'd be pretty cool to find out if that has happened because I'm, I'm with you, Cameron. I don't see how it could work, but I'm, I'm sure I can be proven wrong too. Oh, absolutely there on that front. Um, yeah, but we, we, this is the first time we've ever done it again with the TNAs and being able to do those things, that's the two, that's the type of stuff we can do now. Uh, and it's exciting to do there. But at the same time, it's also like, okay, if, if they do have butt kids, that sets you back another two to three month, you know, weeks in order to determine who that sire is there. So, um, you know, it, again, it depends how fast you want to get them out. But if they're also out of not – Mm, I, one okay so we did three goats actually this year one of them is a recorded grade um kid so if she ever had a buck i'm not going to DNA. i'm not going to dna that buck because i he's going to go to the meat market because he right so because that's that's the responsible thing to do so um yeah that's that's that but the other two i i will be probably selling any buck kids out of them so i will dna them yeah no, that's, I, I think that makes sense. And speaking of that, you had mentioned that you um, have spreadsheets that you keep things on. Part of what I got done this weekend was um, I opened up the record keeping system that I use and really caught up all of my records, made sure that, that I have um, like my weights in, that I have all my vaccinations in, that I have my, um, you know, uh, last time I trimmed feet and all of that information in there along with my breeding so that I can easily pull that up and see what I need to get done. Cause I, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or I'm just busier, but I don't remember stuff like I think I used to. So um, writing it down is uh, the pen is always mightier than my mind. <laughs> yeah. There. So I do have some questions for you on that, Laura. Um, uh-huh. 
you keep weights there. How are you keeping track there? What? How are you measuring weights? Uh, I do with a weight tape. Okay, and then are you? Then when you document that, you're obviously putting the date of birth of the goat in there. And are you weight taping even the big does or just the just the kids? I weight tape everybody. Um, it's just something that that over the years I've found is just kind of interesting. I don't have any scientific anything on, but the program that I use is makes it really easy to track all of it. And um, I weigh my kids weekly, if not, uh, sometimes it's every two weeks. It just kind of depends on when I'm messing with them. But um, every time they get vaccinated, I weigh my kids so I can kind of see how they're growing. And then I can compare that with years past um, you know, were they at the same weight at breeding age is what they are this year type thing. And then with my big does, you know, I think all of us maybe informally look at their body condition and kind of see how, see how they look and how they're doing. And um, I've found that having weights on my does really helps me year to year to see, okay, you know, she was 180 last year at this time. She's 170 this year. So, you know, what's going on? Uh, does she have a problem problem with her teeth? Is my feed not as good a quality? Am I not feeding as much as what I used to? And, and you know, what things in my management are different right now? Oh, okay. She had triplets this year and she really milked off a lot of that weight. Whereas last year she only had a single kid that can make the difference. So I, I just like to, I just like to keep track of it. I don't think you have to do it by any means. I just find it interesting. Yeah, no, I I think it would be interesting to correlate certain things back to bucks, back to does, damn lines, et cetera, et cetera there. So like I think about like if I could determine, hey, I know that every goat out of this buck is is going to be born in this weight tape range there, whatever there, and I then I can determine a score of, you know, kidding ease or, you know, what I think about some of the data they've collected in, in bulls there and being able to determine calving ease and how how heavy is that um, calf going to be there when it's on the ground there and some of those other traits that they've documented as well there. So and I know that documentation takes a long time in order to get and built up there, but once it's built up, we can do so much more with our information and, and continue or do a better job to make data driven decisions instead of kind of our feels that we have. Exactly. And, you know, I, I don't feel scientific enough to say, oh, this buck has a really low birth weight, but their weaning weight is really high. I, I, I don't have anything that scientific, but to me, it's very interesting to see, okay, these kids start out small, but then they grow fast and these kids start out big and they kind of just stay that way. And, and so it's, it's just kind of interesting. Um, I use a program called Easy Keeper. And it, I've found it to be really, really nice. And I looked at it and I've used it for 11 years. So I have 11 years of, of data that's pretty easy to pull up and take take a look at. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's that's interesting there because we use – my dad and I use the Google – use the Dr. Google um, and use a Google Doc for all of our breeding. And then we've actually just kept that updated over the last – three or four years and use the same exact document every single year. So I can go and look at, you know, when a goat kid the previous year, how many she had, but we don't have a lot of those other values that an easy keeper record system would have in there. 
Yeah, it's it's just kind of fun. And I was when I was showing somebody today what I was doing, they said, "So do you put like every supplement that you give or every time you give medication?" And I said, "No, I I put some of it in there or things that are things that to me are things I want to look back on, like like um breeding this doe to this buck and um I had a deformity in a kid, like a, a cleft palate. So, you know, maybe in the future, I might want, not want to use those lines again and cross them. Or if I do again and don't have any problems, then I'm just like, okay, that's a one-off, one-off situation. But I just, I just think sometimes the more information that you can track, uh, the better it is. So, yeah. Yeah. Kind of the last thing on my mind here is, is I like to do goat counting and goat planning. And we just actually had our first unofficial goat planning and goat counting and thinking about who is who is going to stay or go there and really started to – I wouldn't call it an official big board, but I, I, we were able to lock in those keeper goats or say these are the heart goats, for lack of a better terms, in a herd. And I know there's really one heart goat, but these are these are the goats that, you know – even if they don't freshen or get mastitis or do, you know, they're not going anywhere. So I kind of think about those as my um, catastrophe animals. If I had a life catastrophe and I had to sell down to 10 goats, who are those 10 goats going to be? Don't you, uh, Stephen thinks you only have 10 goats though. So Uh, he knows better now (laughs) because I did count them. But uh, he was cheering. He was cheering as as one left today. He's like, "Mom, that's good. Doesn't it feel good?" <laughs> Bless his heart. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think it's a good it's a good time of year to start planning. You know, in the back of my mind, though, as I as I do that, there's always the question that gets asked. If I know right now, as I'm doing my goat counting in my big board and thinking about this, if I already know that this animal's not really a keeper goat, why am I keeping this animal over the winter? I think that too sometimes. And sometimes there, I, I said, I was updating the website a couple weeks ago and I was Snapchatting some friends and I Snapchat a picture of a goat and I said, this is the goat I keep because it's, easier to, to feed an extra goat than fight with my wife. Um, so I, I think about that one there. Um, but I also think about, okay, what can I give this goat a second chance? You know, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. And because sometimes those second chance animals turn out to be your best ones. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the barn bums do well. Um, yeah. But, But at the same time, you know, there's just some certain traits. There's this yearling out there. Every time I see her, she's always at the hay feeder and I see her front end and it's so freaking narrow. And I think, girl, you know, you could come in with a a bunch of milk and a big old udder, but how pinched you are in the front end. I know you're going to leave next year. But then you, you just said something that perked my ears up, Cameron. Mm -hmm. He's always at the hay feeder. Yeah. And I think about traits like that, that necessarily, you know, there's no, there's no points on the scorecard for assertive eaters, but I know in my head, I give a lot of points to an animal that's like that. And that's something that I love about the Sonnens is I don't care if it's pouring down rain, 
they're outside with their heads buried in the hay feeder. I mean, I, I love that. I love animals that have that will to eat that will to, um, you know, just do their business no matter what the weather is. That's really, um, a trait that I like and that I'm trying to breed for more and more. So I, you know, I think sometimes those animals get a pass because of traits like that. That's interesting. This goat would not get a pass for that. I just, okay. I don't, I don't like looking at her. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. And there's those too. Yes. It has to be aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Aha. Uh-huh, got it. Um, because uh, something I say at goat shows a lot is, you know, I, I raise pretty, we raise pretty pasture pets. Some of us do. And, you know, if there are a pretty pasture pet, they better look good in the pasture. And some goats just do not. Right. And that's, you know, that's, again, I think you have to know what's important to you too as a breeder, because that's, that is one thing I, there is a certain look that I want in my herd and, um, you know, they can tick all the boxes for somebody else. But if I don't look out there and just sigh as I look at them and think, oh, that's, that is a pretty stylish goat. It's probably not going to stay here. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly there. So I think we've got seven, which is, again, sounds kind of high. I think it was seven, seven goats that are like, okay, you're probably, there's, you know, 95% chance you're staying, assuming nothing, you know, catastrophic happens or anything else there. So there's seven of those. And there was like 10 on the bubble goats, I do believe as well there. And there's the kids. So, um, well, and you, you are lucky though, Cameron living in Wisconsin, because those bubble goats, um, they can go somewhere and be really great production animals for somebody. Yes. Because they're on your bubble. Doesn't mean that they're not good animals and that they don't have something to offer. Absolutely there. Um, and you know, some of them will probably end up doing that. Um, but I think in addition to taking inventory of your does and figure out, you know, who's going to be your hot goat, who's going to be your not goat next year, um, take inventory of your bucks. I mean, breeding season's winding down. Do you need to feed another one through the winter there? Can you can you figure out how to offload them somewhere? Uh, what, what can you do in order to make your workload easier and your feed bill lighter right now? And if you don't need a buck next year or think that you don't need to, aren't going to be able to use him next year because he's worked himself out of a job, um, maybe now is the time to move him. Maybe. Absolutely. And I, I don't mind selling bucks in rut because, I mean, they might have an opportunity to go do something uh, at, at someone else's house for later kids because they work for, you know, different systems. Right. And so – and many times people are so excited to get that animal, they're going to breed some animals to it that they might have planned to keep dry anyway, just to see what he's doing and, and to make sure that they've got some good animals coming out of him too. So there's yeah. good reasons to do that. Yeah, absolutely. As, Cam- so Cameron, as you're thinking about that, do you also think about what you have in your tank? Absolutely. I do. And I, I, I really think about, you know, what's in my tank and is there things that we can move on as well there. Again, I am not a semen hoarder. I hate those people that are semen hoarders because they have so they're sitting on so much semen. They have one, two, three, four, seventeen tanks there, and they know deep down that they're not gonna use it all. And and you know, maybe it's time to to leave these genetics go. Or, or let someone else have a turn at them as well there. Um, we actually, I'll tell this story here on the podcast, but 
um, we uh, we were going through our tanks, and I was like, we're never going to use some of this stuff. So I had the person in mind that would use it. I was like, hey, I got this in my tank here. Would you be interested in it? In him? And they were like, yeah. Well, how much? I said, why don't you just take it? Because I know how excited you would be to use it. And I know that we can't use it on anything what we got going on right now. And I don't see us being able to use it in the foreseeable future. You know, that's something that uh, the daughters and I have had some discussions about because I've always been of the belief that if a buck is worthy of using in my breeding program, I should get him collected because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, is, is that buck going to get in a fight with another buck and break his neck? And all of a sudden you don't have a way to, you know, to have semen out of him or uh, he get pneumonia, get pneumonia and you lose him and you don't have anything out of him either. And you've spent all this money to buy him and you have no insurance. So I always looked at it as insurance in the tank. But the flip side of that is maybe that buck didn't do what you thought he was going to do. So all of a sudden you've got 40 or 50 straws of a buck in your tank that you paid to collect and, and you're probably not going to use it, you know. So maybe you want to keep five just in case down the road you think it might be something you want to try again, but probably not. What do you do with that, Seaman? You know, do you do like you did and try to find somebody who might want it? Or do you just say, uh, you know what, this buck just didn't pan out and dump it? I dump it. I'm a big proponent of dumping it. And people are crazy. But there comes a point in time in which, you know, a buck's been on the market. You know, if you think about if you think about certain bucks and and one that really comes to mind off of the top of my head is Houts Caprine Dr. Doolittle. And uh, a, a very good buck in his time, but there is so much Houts Caprine Dr. Doolittle out there in the world right now. And I, whenever I see it for sale, I kind of laugh a little bit. I'm like, who the heck's going to buy that? Because everybody that's wanted him has him already in the tank there. And I'm like, it's like okay, buddy, like, like, are you really going to sell this or not? Or would this be better left to throw it on the ground? Or in my case as well, there I had some semen that I didn't want. I, I didn't think anybody was going to buy. I really didn't. And I actually took two straws of it and I took it in and I was, um, you know, I gave it to my brother and he actually showed it under a microscope to some kids at at an FFA chapter because, you know, he wasn't, we weren't going to use it. So why not be able to learn from it as well there? Well, I think about something that um, Danielle said on the Ringside podcast about doing some experiments with actually seeing which is the better way to thaw out semen. You can certainly do that if you had some semen to get rid of, you know, uh, take the time to see if your thaw method is the way that you get more viable semen than uh, somebody else's method. Why not? Yeah, I think this is a perfect time to take inventory of your tank as well there. Really look at the semen you have, and if that semen doesn't align with what you're doing in your herd, maybe if you like line breeding, well, maybe I can't line breed on these goats anymore. Or maybe they just don't align with your goals as well there. Inventory that tank and get rid of some stuff. By golly, stop being a semen hoarder, people. Laura, I'm talking to you. Yeah, you are. I know. (laughs) I know. And I, and I know I have some nostalgia bucks in there that need to go away. My golly, um, I got a buck named Nostalgia that I probably don't need in my tank. 
well, I don't have any of that, but don't offer it to me either, please. <laughs> somebody, somebody in Missouri was selling that, and they, somebody showed me that. I was like, oh, he's in my tank too. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Um, but, but in all seriousness, people, if you if the semen isn't going to work for you anymore, feel free to offload it because at the end of the day, it's just taking up room. And I, I actually saw somebody on Facebook, and she's probably going to call me out on this, that got a second tank like this weekend. And I was like, girl, second tanks are dangerous because they're enablers. They are. And you know, the, the thing of it is, I think all of us get excited when we get certain new bucks. And, and it is like being a kid in a candy store sometimes. But really, are you really going to use all that semen? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree on that front there. Goats are always going to make more semen. There is always going to be another buck that you're going to want to breed to and you can get semen out of it. Yep. I wholeheartedly agree there. And I just when you think you need more semen, that's that's when you need um, your accountability buddy to say, all right, you probably don't need any more because you haven't used what you have in your tank. True. Very true. Don't buy semen unless you have an absolute breeding in mind for it, maybe. Uh, I would disagree with that statement because I bought semen before and I have no clue how to use it, but I wanted it. Or I wanted it. And I am part of the problem. Cameron, that's how you become a semen hoarder. I've got got a plan for it now, though. If the goat goat stays on the farm, I know who I'm breeding her to. Oh, I think we have run the gamut of things that we've been talking about amongst the two of us for a while. Yeah, absolutely there. Um, good episode as well here. We've got a pretty exciting guest slated up in the next couple of weeks at least, and hopefully next week. Um, so we're very excited about that as well there. If you like us, tell a friend. If you don't, give us some feedback. That's always really important. We've got a lot of exciting things kind of in the wings and I can't wait to bring them out. And and if you ask my kids, they know that I am like the worst person for buying Christmas presents or birthday presents ahead of time because I always want to tell everybody. So that's all I'm going to say about this, but I'm so excited. We've got some really cool stuff coming up. Yeah, absolutely. We really can't wait for that as well. Um, yeah. Um, give us some feedback as always find us on apple itunes spotify google podcasts uh, wherever you really get your podcasts at that um feel free to rate us as well give us a review uh and have a great week everybody we're so glad you joined us today and as cameron said had a great have a great week and we will see you next week on goat gab